Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to this special edition of the Tomahawk Take podcast. I'm Jake Mastriani, co-editor of Tomahawk Take, and I'll be your host for today's episode. And joining me today is Dan Zimborski, senior writer for Fangraphs and contributor for ESPN. Dan is the creator of the Zips Projections algorithm, and that's where a lot of our focus will be today, looking at some of the projections for the Atlanta Braves in the upcoming 2020 season. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Jake. How are you today? Hey, doing great, doing great. And as somebody with a, a last name like Mastriani, <laughs> I, I can imagine you had similar struggles as me uh, growing up. So I will uh, try to stay away from that as much as possible. We'll go, we'll go with Dan uh, from here on out. As as uh, my name's been butchered enough, I don't want to do the same. Uh, yeah, we well, see. If you said my last name, then it would be Mister Zamborski, which I absolutely hate. Right. Yeah. Um, no. Now, now that I'm getting up there in age, and I'm getting Mister Mass, and I'm just like, just call me Jake. You yeah. Know, don't don't even try. Um, I get that a lot from from students. Uh, you know, prospective writers. They'll say Mister Zamborski. I'm like, and they might not say Zamborski because they might not know how to say my name. But yeah, I I still don't think I'm old enough to be a Mister, which is probably not true since I'm 41. <laughs> so I probably should be a Mister, but I don't like that right yeah i don't i don't think anybody does even my grandmother didn't want me to call her miss um so you know (laughs) i don't think it matters how how old you get it really kind of don't like hearing it but getting into today's uh conversation like i said we're going to talk about some of the zips projections and i know you haven't given the full report on the braves yet but you were nice enough to go ahead and and, uh, work ahead and do some projections on some braves players so we'll have a discussion on that today before we do that uh, I wanted to talk about your Zips projections, and and Dan gives a good explanation on how his Zips projections work in an article he wrote back in early December called the 2020 Zips projections. So if you haven't had a chance, please make sure you go and check that out. Uh, but Dan, if you could just briefly explain how you started the Zips projections and, and what they're made up of. Uh, well, the Zips projections, I mean, are a computer projection system. At its core, it's estimating where players are based on past statistics, uh, advanced statistics, including stat cast type data. And then it compares these players' baseline to every other baseline in history, uh, which in this case means major league players back to 1920 and minor league players back to the late 60s. It tries to form kind of a cohort of comparable players and kind of use that as a guide to where the player is going in the future. 
works decently, I mean, but, you know, predicting the future is difficult. There's a lot of fog. And, you know, the best we can ever really do is kind of just peer through the fog a little bit. So, you know, error bars on any kind of predicting the future is going to be gigantic. There's no true soothsaying like you see, like um, tarot reading commercials or anything. Zip's, Zip's got it started. I guess you could say in philosophically it started in the mid-90s. A friend of mine named Chris Dial, he's on the Sabre board right now. He's one of the guys that has responsible for the gold gloves. Uh, we were talking about doing a basic projection system that was kind of like a basic, just rough computer system that would try to make free projections for people, kind of like what Tom Tango later did with Marcel. But we never actually did that. I kind of revisited the idea back in 2002, 2003. It became a lot more complex than the initial motivation, but I, I like how it's come over the years. I've learned a lot. I've, I've put a lot of work into it, and hopefully people get something out of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know a lot of people have come to love these projections, and like you say, I mean, it's hard to predict the future or even project the future, but I think it gives us a good baseline for kind of what fans should expect from players going into a, a season. And I think what most Braves fans are probably interested in, or what I'm most interested in, and I'm the one asking the questions, is will Ronald Acuna Jr. put up the numbers in 2020 to win the NL MVP, and is he the next Mike Trout? Well, he could. Uh, the, if you look at the projection uh, that I sent over, I mean, he does have a five-win projection. And while five wins won't win the MVP in, by any stretch, it's it's close enough that, you know, you have a better-than-average season, then you're right in the middle of it. It helps not being in the same league as Mike Trout because that always is a kind of a handicap that people have to face because you have to go against a nine-win player every year, which is kind of difficult. Right. Uh, one thing that is interesting about the projection I found is that it still has his homers and the stolen bases very close to 40-40. So there's a good shot we could see that revisited because, as, as you know, last year they really started using him aggressively on the base paths uh, in the second half of the season, and he might have gotten to 40-40 if they had started that earlier. So I, I would like to see him join the 40-40 club. Yeah, no, me too. And, and you have him at 39 home runs and 35 stolen bases, like you said, just right there on the cusp of it. And and if he was even close to as aggressive in the first half as he was on the second half last year, he would have gotten there easy. So like you said, if he starts that way from the beginning in 2020, I, I have no doubt he can get there, especially if the home run rates continue uh, in 2020 as they were in 2019. Uh, I think it's definitely a possibility. And like I said, I would love to see it. The one area where I think you know, Acuna could definitely improve as the strikeout totals. You have him at 168. If he could cut those down, even just cut 30 out of that, I think that would go a long way to improving his numbers and getting him up there in that MVP discussion. But other than that, I think everything looks pretty pretty in line with what you would expect from an Acuna-type season at this point. Predicting him at 5 war, I mean, that that's not going to get it done as far as MVP, but, it, you know, like you said, it puts him there in that conversation with with the opportunity to get there well well when you look when you look at it you'll actually see very few players get five win projections as their baseline because what it comes down to is that players that are having five or six or seven win seasons tend to be having above average seasons for them you don't see a lot of guys having below average seasons that end up being five wins if you look back to the 2018 projections i only had uh eight hitters projected to have five wins and Acuna just missed that it was four something I believe to see a five win projection and there were only four for pictures too so we're talking on you could count them all on, on your hands uh, on, on your ten fingers if you have ten fingers um, <laughs> yeah I shouldn't I mean 
I've come close to losing a finger before. So I know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Growing up on a farm, I, I can understand the, the possibility of losing, losing a finger here or there. And I know the Braves haven't signed Josh Donaldson, but I did ask you to do the, the projections for him as well. Hoping that uh, announcement comes soon. Um, and you have him as a, a 3.9 war player for 2020, which I, I think is very good. I think, and I know the projections are just for 2020, and I think most Braves fans feel like he'll be a, a good player uh, again this upcoming season. I think the hangup for a lot of Braves fans is what will he be, you know, three, four years down the road as it looks like, you know, it's going to take a four-year deal to, to get him signed. Uh, so what are your thoughts on Josh Donaldson and kind of his outlook in the future? Well, since I actually still have it open, it still projects him to be a two-win player uh, three years from now in the third year of a contract. It's only when you start to get into the fourth year, uh, Zips has his, because, you know, he's going to be pretty old at that point. His playing time is, the risk is there uh, under 400 plate appearances when we're projecting, you know, four years in advance. Uh, OPS still around 730, so it wouldn't be a major disaster. But Zips does think that he's going to hold his value for at least three years. I mean, he's starting from a pretty good point because people forget how good Josh Donaldson was a few years ago. He had, you know, that, that run where he was injured constantly. But, you know, 2019 was was a good match for him in the Braves. He got a pretty big pillow contract, if you could even call it that. I think he is still a good fit in Atlanta. I think there's plenty of places that the team can use Austin Riley. It's interesting if you look at the Riley-Donaldson, like, overall lines. They're very similar. <laughs> Until you get to the 60 points of on-base percentage that Donaldson has, uh, right. which is, of course, significant, which is why Riley's projection is much worse than Donaldson's. Even Riley's projection still projects him to be a, a league-average-ish player. Uh, I think the question is largely going to be how good his defense is full-time at third uh, in the majors, but we'll see if it comes to that. Yeah, and Riley was who you know I wanted to focus on next, and it's it is interesting that you point out. I mean, their numbers across the board are are very similar, except for like you said, on base percentage, which you have three hundred nine <laughs> for Riley and three seventy three for Donaldson, and and that makes a two war difference because um, Riley's at one point nine war projected and Donaldson at three point nine. So I mean, but the home runs are are right there. You even have Riley with you know projected more RBIs, which I know RBIs are are difficult to project in any kind of, of algorithm but uh so yeah i think that's pretty pretty interesting and kind of telling for you know what we can expect for the future of riley because i think a lot of Braves fans are, are kind of already you know ex prepared to to give up on him after the second half that he had but uh you know there's still possibility there for him to be a, a very good everyday uh, major league player yeah people forget i mean 2019 was his age 22 season it's a little soon to start writing someone off. Uh, I, I think what happened is the, the transition, because it was a perfect plan. You know, Donaldson kind of a one-year transition to Riley. But Riley, I mean, he, he had some questions in the second half, clearly. Donaldson was as as good as anyone could expect. So then it gets a little harder to move on from Riley, from Donaldson to Riley. Simply because, I mean, the Braves are very competitive right now. And even if you worry about Donaldson three or four years down the line, I mean, we could all be dead three or four years from now. Uh, it's, I mean, what, what goes on in 2020, 2021, 2022, that's going to tell what the success of this Braves era is going to be. I think when you start talking 2024, 2025, I mean, that's a pretty long window. And I think you have to kind of focus on where they are now. They are in a win now mode. So you have to discount those way future wins uh, significantly. 
Yeah, so we're losing fingers and we're dying here um, on this podcast today uh, is what, what we're projecting. <laughs> well, my, my, my sister tells me that I'm going to lose a toe because I tend to cut myself and then he, and then not take the best wound care. I almost I didn't cut off my pinky toe, but I got a pretty good gash and I stepped on a, a piece of glass that was outside because I was walking around barefoot. And my sister, who who is a medical professional, was very upset when I didn't get stitches because I didn't tell her any of this until afterwards. But instead, I just made a sock tourniquet, tied it around real tight around the pinky toe gash, and then I just let it go. Yeah. Uh, and she said I should have had, like, from the scar, she said I probably should have had five or six stitches. But I still have my toe. It, I have feeling back in most of the toe. But, I mean, it's a pinky toe, so you don't really need to feel that much. Probably affecting your jump shot and everything. You know, too, yeah, that, so. that jump shot hasn't been uh, relevant for a while. <laughs> getting back into some of these projections and kind of moving to the pitching side of things uh, a lot of people uh, and a lot of other projections that I've seen are kind of discrediting what Mike Soroka did in 2019 and don't think that level of success is repeatable but uh, the Zips projections are, are very favorable to him and have him as a, a four-war player and I lo- obviously love to see that and we wrote an article recently on um, why you can still expect Soroka to pitch at a high level uh, obviously, you got to expect a, a little bit of a step back as he was so good in 2019, but uh, I don't think it's a, as dramatic as some other um, projection systems are, are saying. Yeah, Zips is positive about Soroka. Zips likes Soroka as a prospect. People forget how young he was last year. I mean, he's going to allow a few more home runs. That's inevitable for, for any pitcher. But, I mean, I haven't run all the official Zips projections yet, but of the teams I've done, which is about 10 teams... Soroka has the fifth best war projection. And some of the pictures he has a better projection than include Noah Syndergaard, Herman Marquez, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Zach Greinke, John Gray, Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, he, he has a good projection. I know that people gave Andrew Baggerly a hard time last year when he voted for Soroka for the uh, Rookie of the Year, if it, if it was Baggerly, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah that's correct. Uh, but... I was I was a rookie of the year voter last year, and I voted for Alonzo, but it was pretty close. Alonzo, I just had him a little better in 2019, that he got first and Soroka second. But it would not have taken that much for me to have flipped those votes. Yeah, for a lot of the Braves fan, it was the argument of, is it more impressive that a starting pitcher gave up as little few home runs as he did in such a year when home runs were so prevalent? Or was it more impressive that Alonzo did what he did in a year where everybody was hitting home runs? And, you know, that was kind of the argument Braves fan had, whether or not it was valid. I, you know, can't say for sure. Obviously, it wasn't because Alonzo still won in a landslide. But like you said, I think it's a lot closer than uh, a lot of people uh, were giving Soroka credit for. He had an incredible year. Uh, last year, and I still think he's going to be uh, a good again in 2020 and going forward. Uh, Zips projections tend to agree with that, with having with a, a 3.32 ERA and, like I said, a WAR of, of four. So uh, I'll take that that type of year from from Soroka. Yeah, expecting uh, under three every year would be a little greedy. And right. you know, greed is good, but there's only so much greed. And you know, the picture the picture gods will punish you if uh, for hubris if 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 you ask for too much. Two other pitchers that I think the the 2020 season could could hinge on are Mike Poltonavich and Max Freed. Uh, those are two very important pitchers for the Braves rotation. 
you have Freed at a, a, a three seven two ERA and Fulty at a four two six. Uh, I think Braves fans would be a little upset with that projection of of Fultonavich. He's a guy who, you know, he was the ace in 2018 uh, and obviously took a huge step back at the beginning of 2019, which I think was mostly due to injury and then was great down the stretch in the second half. Uh, so talk a little bit about those two guys, if you could. Well, Freed, I mean, he had a, uh, a FIP of 3.62 or 3.66, I think. See, this is I shouldn't always go from memory, but I tend to, and then I get things wrong. And a 3.72, I believe, last year. And so Zips kind of sees him staying around that level. Uh, the thing with Fultonevich is that there is a lot of uncertainty around his season from last year. And it's always hard to separate what part of it is injury and, you know, what part of it is his slider just not being as effective as it was. Now, it, he looked a lot better towards the end of the year. And I should note that the projection does know how he pitched in the, that last, that playoff game. You know, the yeah. one we didn't want to yep. talk about. The one so, we did um, not mention, yes. It was, it was a bad enough game that it actually puts his projection down just a little bit because it's a, you know, a part of his seasonal record. But Zips is still projecting a league average season from him. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, uh, given that Zips gives the Braves quite solid projections elsewhere. I mean, you'd like to see him get back to 2018, but even then, he had a, a very low home run rate that he, would be hard to maintain. So he he was above his peripherals. He had a 251 uh, betting average on balls in play. Uh, so he never really was going to be a 285 guy going forward. Uh, the question is, is he better than, than 4.50? Yeah, Zips does have him better than that. Uh, but there is risk involved. When there's risk, you have to you know kind of put that median projection lower than you might otherwise if you were more optimistic. Yeah, I think uh, just as a Braves fan, personally, I, I'd like to see him, you know, between three, five and four. I think that's where Braves fans would like to see him. But I, I, I can understand the risk involved there uh, with him and kind of need to see it from him uh, again. And he did have uh, Freed as a 3.72 FIP um, last year. So that kind of uh, makes sense with the proje- projection that has him at a, a 3.72 uh, ERA for 2020. But both of those guys that you have as two two war pitchers, and, and I still think that would be a good top three with, with Soroka being at four war. I, I think that would obviously be uh, something Braves fans would take at this point. Yeah, the, uh, the computer's been into the, the young Braves for a long time. Uh, I know I got – I wrote several articles a few years ago about the Braves and their busting out and their potential in 2018. So, so I got a lot of out of I got a lot out of that work-wise, which is always nice, especially when you're writing at the slow portion of the offseason. Uh, last winter was terrible. It's been I, much I'm optimistic better about the Braves. Um, this year. Uh, yeah, this year was much more fun. I'm, I'm, I'm much happier about that. I think the biggest obstacle for the Braves is the division itself. It's a very competitive division. And that, that, of course, creates problems because, you know, you reduce your chances of winning the division and instead making a wild card. And that really affects your, you know, your your World Series odds. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be a tough division again. I mean, even the the Marlins are, are making moves to to be better, win more sort games. Of. So, yeah, well, <laughs> they might win, you know, 68 games. Well, yeah, instead of us beating them 14 <laughs> times a year, it, it may only be 12 now. But, you know, but yeah, it's going to be a, a tough tough division once again but a couple of players that uh, I think a lot of Braves fans want to know about and are hoping for big things and and breakout seasons in 2020 are Dansby Swanson and Sean Newcomb you know Dansby Swanson the first overall pick kind of saw glimpses of what he can be at the beginning of last year 
and then he started to tail off and then he had the injury and just really wasn't the same uh, at the end of last year. I did end up having a good postseason, which kind of gave fans hope again for, for 2020. But you got Dansby as a, a 252 hitter, 15 home runs, a 1.9 war. I think that's fair based on what we've seen. I think being greedy, as we talked about earlier, as a Braves fan, I'd love to see that be uh, a little higher. I, I would love to see him outperform that in 2020 and think he's capable of it. But I think that number is pretty, pretty fair based on what we've seen so far. Yeah, you, you look where he is. Uh, he's going to be 26 next month. Well, the big breakout, if it was likely to happen, it probably would have happened already. But, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a league average player. The Braves, I mean, they can't complain that much because they've already won the Diamondbacks trade about 10 times over at this point. <laughs> uh, right. I mean, Swans, Swanson could have, you know, left baseball and become a monk, and Inciarte already would have made that trade a huge win. So, I mean, at this point, you're just, you know, you're lapping the Diamondbacks and humiliating Dave Stewart. But, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's tough when you're a, a top prospect and then you just are a good player. Uh, I think about that a lot with Greg Jeffries. People seem to think Greg Jeffries was worse than he actually was because he was so disappointing relative to his early expectations. Uh, he was, a, you know, he was never a star, but he was a solid player for a long time. And, I mean, that's, that, that's fine. And Swanson projects as, you know, an average player. I mean, that's fine. It's it's sometimes a little hard for people when the outlook was that the player would be a star. But, I mean, average players have a lot of value. Yeah, I mean, when Dansby came up, a lot of people were trying to compare him to to Derek Jeter, which wasn't really fair in the first place. Well, he's a better um, fielder than Derek Jeter. Right. <laughs> I think we were expecting more 280-type hitter, um, and that really hasn't come along yet i mean the 15 home run 15 20 home runs i think that was about what a lot of people expected and, and will take uh from him it's really just the the average that hasn't uh, lived up to kind of expectations to this point but as far as sean newcomb goes that's going to be a little bit harder to project because it has him in 43 games with 19 starts uh, and a 428 era and 1.4 war and i think a lot of people are expecting him to to take that fifth job Fifth, uh, fifth spot in the rotation um, out of spring training and be the the starter for the Braves. And uh, a lot of people are hoping uh, that he solidifies that spot in the rotation. But just talk a little bit about Sean Newcomb and, and the outlook look that you have for him. Well, it, it's tricky. Uh, I mean, I could tell Zips to consider a player purely a starter or purely a reliever. But I think, as you say, the Braves hope that he'll seize the job, but nothing's guaranteed at this point. I, I think there's a lot of just... I know I keep using uncertainty, but it, it's hard to say exactly where he will play in 2020. I had a lot of that issue when I was projecting the Orioles because they have a lot of swingish guys uh, as well. Uh, I, I still like Newcomb. I don't think there's that he's likely to become a star. But, I mean, you know, he's a left-handed pitcher who can throw 94, 95, so that, that's a pretty good thing. My question is kind of his secondary stuff. I'm not sure he—it feels like he needs one more out pitch. Uh, I don't know what that pitch would be, but it just feels like that his fastball and curve, I mean, I, I think they need one more thing just to kind of solidify him as a starter. Do you personally see it outlook better for him as a reliever than a starter with those two pitches? I would say yes. I think that having a match his ERA as a reliever as a starter would be difficult at this point. I, I think he'll be a league average starter, but I don't think he's going to be a great starter. Now, of course, you're talking about a fifth starter, which, you know, the average fifth starter is a pretty lousy picture on average. I think 
the average ERA plus for fifth starters is something like 84, which is pretty lousy. I, I think Newcomb will, will do much better than that. Yeah, you got Newcomb at a 101 ERA plus. So like yeah. you said, I mean, uh, with the deep Braves rotation and Young, I mean, that's, like you say, we go back to being kind of greedy. I, I think most teams would take that as a, a fifth starter and be happy. A lot of race fans for what we gave up for Sean Newcomb and maybe one of the best defensive shortstops uh, we, we've seen. Uh, a lot of people obviously are still wanting Newcomb to, to live up to the expectations of that trade. And I don't know that that's ever going to, to fully happen. But like you said, I still think he has a lot of value if he does move back to the bullpen where he was very good last year as a lefty uh, with two very good pitches. I think he can be an effective reliever if he doesn't work out as a starter or if the Braves end up trading for a starter during the season. Yeah, the um, Braves have a lot of options because, I mean, they still have, you know, even with the trades of some of the depth last last summer, they still have an excellent farm system. As we talked about, they have a deep rotation. We're, we're talking about Newcomb is the fifth starter. Cole Hamels is probably the fourth starter. That's a that's a good rotation. I would match that rotation up against most teams in baseball. I would put the Mets a little above that. But I really like the Braves rotation. Yeah, no, and I think I think a lot a lot of people would agree with that. But because uh, here's the here's the thing about the Mets. Uh, even if I think that that if everybody's healthy, they're slightly better because I love a Degrom, Syndergaard, Stroman top three. Even if you think they're better on paper, when something bad happens to both teams, the Braves are able to deal with that better than the Mets are. The Mets quickly have to get to you know Michael Walker and Walker Lockett. Well, the Braves. I mean, you you have you have Wilson, you have Wright. There there, there are options for the Braves. I I love the depth. Yeah, definitely. We have a lot of depth there. Some of it's still a little unknown. Wilson and Wright, you know, both struggled at the major league level last year in their first chances, but that's obviously a, a small sample size. But still, like you said, a lot of depth there to fall back on if things don't work out. And I think a lot of us still believe that you know if they get into the season and a pitcher is what we're missing that. You can probably trade from that depth to, to get a, a starter to solidify the rotation even more. So definitely Braves are in a good place as far as starting rotation goes. Last thing I wanted to to talk about here is you know can't have a Braves discussion without talking about Freddie Freeman we wrote recently that he's about six more Freddie Freeman type years away from being a Hall of Fame type player and I don't know if you still have his projections up for for future years but I kinda, still do I have uh, not closed that I, I had that open for reference uh, yeah yeah I um, mean he puts up you know the Freddie Freeman here every year uh, I mean this one was unusual because he hit the 38 home runs because you know everybody hit home runs but he's not like primarily a home run hitter and that voters are difficult sometimes they they'll say that they that they look at more than home runs but then you see them looking mostly at home runs uh, zips does have freeman finishing with just under 2600 hits 403 home runs and thinks he has another 20.7 war in him uh that that puts him around 56 to 57 war i mean he might beat that i think that at that Number without you know going farther into his thirties, uh, showing a, spe- a special durability. I think at that point he becomes a borderline Hall of Famer. It, it, it's tricky right now because the voters are looking you know askance at Todd Helton. And if you get me on the Hall of Fame, I'll spend you know 
yeah. five hours ranting about things like the Jeter Vizquel ballot, uh, the multiple Jeter Vizquel ballots. Uh, <laughs> but if Freeman stays especially durable and continues to put up those Freddie Freeman seasons, it's not a stretch to say he could hit 500 home runs, say, you know, 2,800 hits, say, get to 65 war. Then that becomes, he comes in that kind of that Willie McCovey zone where I do think he gets into the Hall of Fame. So let's just call it 40% right now, which is, again, fine, because we're talking about a player who still has half his career to go. So you don't want to say he's a slam dunk. There are very few guys who are slam dunk Hall of Famers. I think Mike Trout, if he got hit by a truck, he'd be a Hall of Famer pretty easily at this point. But Freeman is in that zone where he has a good shot. Yeah, I think when I was looking at it the other day and looking at some of the war for the top first baseman, I think kind of where the cutoff point was, was around 70 war. And it's like you said, I think he kind of projects uh, to get to around 60. So obviously I think he has a little more work to do. I think you're right. He's probably going to be borderline uh, once he gets there. But I also think if he had a, a, a six or seven war season here in the next couple of years and possibly, obviously if he got the MVP, I think that would be a huge boost to his candidacy. But I think he's still capable of having that type of year. Um, over the next three or four years, and and that could help uh, push him there eventually. But would love to love to see that for Freddie and somebody who's been very dedicated to to the Braves and somebody who's going to be a free agent very soon if the Braves don't extend him, which I, I think they will. Yeah, I think they will too. I mean, you you look at him and he's pretty much any time period you look at during the peak of his career, he leads baseball and war until you start getting farther back and getting the Vado's best seasons. And I think when you say this guy was the best first baseman in baseball for over a five-year period, that is a compelling peak value argument for a Hall of Fame case. As you say, if he can have, you know, a huge signature playoff season where where the Braves win the World Series, I I think that kind of storyline does help push a player forward. I think it certainly helped David Ortiz, who I think will get in fairly easily in, in a few years, where he might not otherwise have without that postseason record. I compare it a lot to Chipper Jones as well, because, you know, I think Chipper Jones having that MVP season, having that World Series season, um, just kind of solidified his case as well. Not that if he, was, he wasn't already on his, the merit of his numbers, but I think even that kind of boosted it, and I think that's what Freddie Freeman's missing uh, right now. So, especially yeah, his... Chip, br- Chipper was such an easy end for me that if he had gone, you know, oh for a hundred, I still would have complained in the postseason. I still would have complained that people left him off the ballot. I think he was a pretty easy one. Yeah, yeah, no should doubt. have been. As far as, and I know you didn't haven't done the entire Braves, but was there anything else that stood out from you for Braves projections? No, I think the Braves are a pretty well established team at this point, so fewer surprises. I still would like a would have liked them to be a little a little more aggressive in the outfield for that final outfield spot. I'm sure that the projected mix of time between Marcakis and and Duvall, yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't remember his name for some yeah, reason. I don't really, I, mean, I don't really like to say it either, but yeah. I mean, I think it'll be okay, but I think it's going to be a below average position. I would have liked the team to be a little more aggressive. You look at their salary situation. You have Al- Albies and and Acuna now signed forever for not a lot of money, relatively speaking. I think that they could have gone after another outfielder. Maybe the, maybe the plan is to to put Riley in there if one if if someone struggles, which is I guess makes a lot of sense. But I think given where they are, I would have probably been a little more aggressive. Yeah, no, you're you're speaking to like Ozuna, yeah. like. 
maybe go after Azuna. Maybe I would like the Sixers to be a little more aggressive there this year. Well, since Alan was really lazy and didn't get this podcast up in time, it's probably a good time to inject the uh, news of the day, the fact that the Braves have now signed Marcelo Zuna, as Dan was suggesting we do. In December, he wrote the following about Marcelo Zuna in his Fangraphs column. Zips thinks Ozuna should have had 316 batting average on balls in play in 2019 based on his profile. His actual is 259, and gives him a 281 batting average, 346 on base, 509 slugging, and a 3.1 WAR projection in 141 projected games for 2020. So let's now get back to the rest of that interview. Yeah, no, anybody that's you know, or all of our listeners know they've heard me talk on here that I, I've been wanting the Braves to fix that left field spot. And uh, I'm not exactly thrilled about the Dukakis platoon uh, going into the going into the season. So I, I certainly would love to see them be more aggressive there and and upgrade that position. Uh, and I think a lot of it's hinging on Donaldson. I, I think that's holding them up right now. They want to get that taken care of and then I think they possibly start to look for trade opportunities to upgrade uh, in the outfield there at least that's what I'm hoping but I kind of agree with you there I wish they'd be a little more aggressive to, to upgrade that outfield spot and I'd feel uh, much better about their chances because like we talked about earlier the division's going to be a lot harder this year and um, you can't just expect to bring back Donaldson which is what you did last year and uh, expect to have the same results that wouldn't have been fun if the Braves got Nolan Arenado, though. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it would be. certainly would be. And I know a lot of Braves fans are, are wanting that and, and pushing for that, but I just it, – it's hard to see that happening. Um, yeah, it would be fun, though. It would be it, a lot of fun. It would definitely be a lot of fun. Um, and, and Donaldson was great defensively for the Braves last year. Uh, obviously, he finished in, in the, as a finalist for the Gold Glove, but to have Arenado over there, uh, maybe one of the best defensive third basemen we've seen, and, and you know his bat obviously speaks for itself. Yeah, it definitely would be a lot of fun, and it would be a a, a huge boost in that lineup. So, but we'll see. Like I said, I have I, I'm not very optimistic that that type of deal will happen for anybody, but it, it sounds like it's. Uh, as far as reports went this morning, it sounds like it's the po- a big possibility that it, it could happen. Yeah, I'm. It, the, the trick is always the Rockies. I don't have a lot of confidence in their front office, uh, so who knows what package they would actually go for. Yeah, and that opt-out that he has, I believe, oh, the 2021 yeah. season throws a, a big wrench into it. That'd have to be negotiated out of the deal or, or something. <laughs> that opt-out, that opt-out. I still, I still can't figure out what, the, what they were doing. I mean, he didn't ask for the opt-out. They just <laughs> volunteered it for him. It's like, why would you do this? All right. It's almost I like mean, have, I've never been in a situation where I went to buy a pizza, and then I you know, paid the, the guy at the counter for the pizza, took the pizza, uh, already left a tip, and then went back and said, how about I give you $10 more for this pizza? Uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's never happened. That's happened zero times ever. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess all you can say is the Rockies. I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say on that. And when you try to trade a guy a year after you, you sign him to a mega contract, that doesn't really make sense either. But you say it's the Rockies. <laughs> and I know, I don't know if you've fully done your team projections yet, but what are your projections for the Braves going into 2020? 
I see them as a high 80s, low 90s win team. I think the division being tough makes that upside win total tough. It, it's hard to say which team is better of the top three. I think the Phillies are still slightly behind the Nationals, Braves, and Mets, but it's so, so close. I think it'll come down to the Braves and Nats, personally. I don't have a lot of faith in the Mets either if something starts happening midseason. It's not a great dis- division to be in. I mean, if you, if you like races and you're not, you know, you don't need a specific team to win. It's, it's a lot of fun. But I think if you put the Braves in one of the central divisions, they would pretty much lap the field by the end of August or so. But it's, it's, it's going to be a fight this year, I think, much, much more than it was uh, in 2019. Yeah, certainly. Like we talked about, I think it's going to be a a tight race. And like I said, sometimes I wish I could take off my Braves colored glasses and just enjoy it because I think it will be a a good battle. But uh, and and I kind of agree. I think it's going to come down to the Braves and the Nats. And personally, I I think the Nats have taken a step back. But that's that's me being a Braves fan. Still think the Braves are are the favorite at this point. But I think it's going to be a a good battle uh, between those top four teams. So, Dan, if you don't mind, if you just tell the people where they can uh, find your work. I, like, I, I've seen you all over the place. Uh, that's why I wanted to have, have you on. Uh, but if you could tell the people where they can find your work. Well, you can find me mostly at Fangraphs these days. Uh, I still contribute to ESPN, for whom I work from 2010 to 2018 uh, full-time. And you can find me at D. Zimborski on Twitter, uh, being terrible, uh, because that's what Twitter is. Exactly. Uh, and, you, I mean, D-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I, but... You know, you type in enough of those letters and, and Google <laughs> will figure out how to spell my last name. So uh, I just wanted to thank you again. Thanks for jumping on uh, this episode uh, of the Tomahawk Take podcast. And that will do it uh, for this special edition of the podcast. And again, once again, I just want to thank uh, Dan Zimborski, uh for joining on this, this episode to talk about some of his Zips projections and look for those projections to be released coming uh, months and like i said make sure that you follow dan on twitter at d-s-z-y-m-b-o-r-s-k-i like dan said by the time you get to the y it's probably gonna go ahead and pull that up for you uh, make sure that you check out all of his uh writings on fan graphs once again thank you all for joining this episode of tomahawk take we look forward to talking to you again soon This 2020 edition of the Tomahawk Take podcast is a production of TomahawkTake.com and Fansided LLC. The opinions expressed on the show today are strictly those of the participants. All rights are reserved. Make your own medical decisions responsibly. Music used today comes to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0 and features selections by Kevin McLeod entitled Open Those Bright Eyes, Amazing Plan, Porch Swing Days, and Break Time. His works are featured at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Thanks for listening, and may your projections be high.
Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park 